we're starting a new series, and partly because I fell behind in getting it all together, we don't have a cool graphic um, to put up, but um, it's a series that's going to go through September and October, and it's a series that's on this question of a healthy church, and it's trying to answer these questions. I um, told people a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, actually, when I took my daughter to um, Atlanta, so she's looking for her, she was looking to see if that's where she wants to move and start her nursing career and, and all. And so we went over there and, and I said, you know, I was kind of use it as a little retreat, kind of get away and uh, be able to, to just, you know, think about, you know, where we are as a church and, and you know, what's the next steps. And, and I started with this question that, you know, I never really had asked myself. And I asked, I started with this question. The question was, what kind of a church do I want to be a part of? What kind of a church, not only do I want to be pastor of, but what kind of church do I even want to belong to? And I start, started there, and I thought about some things. I thought about if I was out looking for a church, um, what would I, where would I go? What, what, would, what would attract me to that church? And, you know, after thinking about that for a little while, and I'm not going to tell you what my list was, but uh, after thinking about it for a little while, I, I really came to the conclusion that that's really not the right question to ask. I think that's the question we ask too much. I think that's the question that people looking for churches ask. They look for, what kind of church do I want to go to? What kind of church do I want to be a part of? And I kind of came to the conclusion that it's not a question of what kind of church I want. It's really a question of what kind of church does, does God want? Because whether I want to be part of that church or not, it's kind of irrelevant. What I should be focused on is thinking about what kind of church does God want? And of course, if we're going to ask that question, those questions of you know, where are we going? What are we supposed to do? You know, what's the next step? If we're asking those questions, it would seem that we would begin with the idea that what is a healthy church according to God? What is a healthy church? It's not what sometimes people think of as a healthy church. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a culture and a society that's, that's dominated by, by measurables. We're, we're dominated by things we can quantify. And so, you, you, you know, everything is about, it has, if you can't put a number on it, it's somehow not as important. And we, we, we equate health with improving numbers. And that's not necessarily true. It often is true. We saw in the, the first century church, that church in the book of Acts, we saw that, man, numbers are coming. But we also realized that with the thousands that were coming, and even tens of thousands, that the church wasn't healthy. There were problems in the church that threatened that church where it could have fallen apart. You see, I don't want a big church unless we're a big church healthy church. 
I don't want a traditional hymn singing church unless we are a traditional hymn singing healthy church. I don't want a church full of suits and ties and nice dresses and nice hats unless we're a suit-wearing, tie-wearing, dress-wearing, healthy church. The music, contemporary music, people passionately worshiping God, I don't want that unless we are a healthy, passionately worshiping God church. It's not about whether the church is simple or complex, purpose-driven or not, church planting, outreach-focused, mission-minded. None of that matters if we're not healthy. Our focus needs to be on being healthy. And the problem is, is I think sometimes we approach church health the same way we approach our personal health. One of the things that I really don't like doing when I go to the doctor for a checkup is having a doctor tell me that I'm obese. And I, I am obese. According to this, this BMI scale that they have, my height and what my ideal body weight would be, I'm considered obese. And I hate that because especially when the doctor who really is obese is telling me that <laughs> I'm obese and I should probably try to get in shape, right? I'm like, well, let's go running, you know? Um, because it's just one number. That one number doesn't tell you how healthy you are. It's just a number. The number's important. It does tell you something. But it doesn't tell you everything. And I think sometimes when we do, when we get into health, and I, I've always been somewhat caring about my health, but, you know, last three or four months I've really tried to, tried to be healthier, and I've tried to eat healthier and exercise more and all that. But I, I realized when I was younger, the problem is I would fixate on one thing. Like, I might care about you know, more about how I looked, or I cared about how strong I was, or I cared about, you know, some measure, but I, would, but I wouldn't care about overall health. And when I was younger, it was okay. I'd get away with it because my, you know, as my body could still handle it. But as I got older, if I didn't take care of everything, something would happen, and I would get hurt, or I would get, you know, sidetracked, or something would happen where, where something would break down because I couldn't do it all. I couldn't improve in all those areas that I needed to improve for my overall health. I think that's what sometimes happens in church. When I used to be at seminary, and then three days a week at seminary, we had chapel. And at least once a week, we'd have these guest speakers come in from all over, and at least once a week, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it's more like once a month, but frequent enough that I would remember, someone would come in and tell all of us, what was wrong with the church? And it's usually one thing. And then the next week, somebody else would come along and tell us what was wrong with the church, and it would be something different. And then somebody else would come the next month and do the same thing. They all knew, this is the one thing, if you'll do this, you know what? 
they were all kind of right, but they were all kind of wrong. I almost felt like they were those guys who, you know, try to sell you the diet pill. Just take this diet pill. You'll lose 10 pounds in a week, right? That's all you got to do. The only way you'll lose 10 pounds in a week with a diet pill is if it has worms in it and it starts eating away inside of you or if somehow the diet pill makes your arm fall off. I don't know. Then you'll lose 10 pounds. You want to lose 10 pounds, cut your arm off. Do what Jeremy did. Try to cut your fingers off. Um, <laughs> it's a way to lose weight. Um, but they're, they're always focusing on one thing, one element. But if we're going to be a healthy church, we cannot simply think about one thing. It cannot just be one thing. We have to think about all these things. We have to try to do all of these things. We have to try to be all of these things. We're not going to be perfect. No one is. But we need to, to make this our, our goal. This is the direction. This is who we're trying to become. This is where we're always moving. And we're not doing it so that we can get bigger. We're not doing it so that we can have a, a more programs or a bigger church or more services. We're not doing it for that. If God says that happens, that happens, and we'll go, okay. But our focus needs to be on healthy. Being healthy. Here's the problem, though, with being, trying to be healthy. You know, sometimes people decide they're going to suddenly try to get healthy, and so they care about their weight, and so they're going to lose weight, and so they're going to start exercising. But they never bothered to check with their doctor, and their doctor might have told them, you know, you need to ease into this, because your heart, your heart for 30 years has been thinking, this is all the work I have to do. This person sits at their office all day, they go home, sit on their couch all day, and then all of a sudden, this person decides they want to walk an hour every day. Your heart will protest, right? Because everything kind of has to, it has to kind of get better together. It's the same thing that happens in your car sometimes. You know, you, you didn't really take, of your, take care of your car for about 10, 15 years, and then you start fixing something. But your car has all, like, our body sometimes, we've all gotten used to growing old together. And then we put one new thing on it. What happens to the rest of the car? It starts to break. Because it's not used to that new thing. And I think sometimes that happens in the church. I think in the church, we have people at all different levels. All different levels of spiritual maturity. Some people, maybe not even Christians at all. Others, brand new Christians. Others had been Christians for a while, but just kind of going through the motions for a while, and others that are just, just crazy, on-fire radical, want to do whatever God wants, and, and running and pushing, and you got them all together. And if you suddenly start to try to run, and you got a lot of people that aren't ready, you don't get healthy. You'll pull a muscle. You'll have a heart attack. Something's going to happen. So health isn't really about that each of us is perfectly healthy. Health is more about all of us 
are moving in the same direction wherever we are in our, in our stages of growth and spiritual maturity. That we're all kind of going there, even if some people are just beginning and other people had taken kind of a side trip and now they're coming back and other people are, are ahead, but we're all moving in the same direction. We all have the same idea of what a healthy church is. So what does God say is a healthy church? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for two months. And I think it's summarized well in Romans chapter 12. In fact, that's what I'm going to say I want us to be. I want us to be a Romans 12 church. I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to read Romans 12. And I would encourage you to read it again and read it again and read it again and read it again. Not because reading it will magically do anything, but I think when we read it, we, we pick up on different things. Every time we read it, something new, something kind of fresh comes to mind, something we didn't notice before that's always been there. Sometimes it's because we're at a point in our life where something just happened in the church or we're thinking about something or God's bringing something to mind and then we read that scripture again and go, oh, I see it. It's come to life. I've also done something that if you look on the back of your notes, those of you who are using the notes, if you look on the back, I'm telling you, right there, what a Romans 12 church is. A surrendered church, a discipling church, a humble church, a diverse church, a serving church, a loving church, a fruitful church, a relational church, a good church. A church focused on the good. You see, this is one of those things that I had this, this moment in my life when I was about... 30 or so, and I was helping my dad um, at his church, and, and this, this man who was in his 60s had had a heart attack, and he died, and we had to do the funeral. And at that time, I had been, I had been married, and I think we had Kimmy, and I remember sitting there, and I was doing the music, and then I would sit there while my dad was speaking, and from where I was sitting, I could see this man's widow, and, and I saw her, and she's just, just grieving, just weeping openly. And I, and, I, and I realized that one of the reasons this guy died prematurely was because, you know, he lived like most Americans, didn't exercise, didn't eat well. And it was at that moment that I said, I don't want that to be my wife. When I'm in my 60s and she's in her 60s, I don't want her sitting in that chair. And though I can't control it, I can't control that I might go running and yes, a bus might run me over, okay, a rock might fall off diamond head and roll, you know, knock me into the water. Okay, yes, those things can happen. I can't control those things, but the things I can control I'm going to do. And I realized it wasn't like, oh, I'll do that after my kids are, are, are raised and, and I'm not as busy. I'll do it later on after we've kind of moved and transitioned into a new career. I realized I needed to do it 
now. But I think sometimes in church, we get this idea of what a healthy church is, and we realize part of it comes down to us also being healthy Christians, and we don't get the sense of urgency. We don't understand that this world desperately needs healthy churches now. Not 10 years from now, not 20 years from now, right now, today. There are people all around this church and this community who need a healthy, vibrant church right here. They need it desperately. We, we cannot just simply say we're going to just keep taking our time and we'll get to it when we get to it, and when we get there, we'll get there. These aren't just good ideas to add to the list of good ideas that maybe someday, maybe someday, this isn't the future to-do list, the rainy day list. This is who we need to be now. If we really believe what the Bible says, if we really believe in the gospel, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, that the only hope is that God's kingdom would be established, if we really believe that, if we really believe that without that, the people in this community are destined to an eternity without God, if we really believe that, it's now. Because the world, if you haven't noticed, our culture, our American society, isn't going closer to God. If the presidential election that we just had doesn't teach you anything else, it should teach you that you did not have a clear person that was leading you towards Jesus Christ. That's our culture, and it's not getting better. We need healthy churches. We need to be a healthy church. That's the series. I hope you come. I hope you listen. If you can't make it, we're going to do our best to make sure they're on our website, and you can listen to these messages. I hope you talk about it. I hope this is something that dominates our conversation. Because we have to have a clear understanding of this as we move forward. So today, we talk about a surrendered church. A church that's surrendered to Christ, surrendered to God. And we read this in Romans 12. And what Paul's doing here, Paul has, has just laid out the longest explanation he has in the Bible of what the gospel is. He's laid it all out. He's talked about how God revealed himself to all of humanity. Humanity rejected him, that no one is righteous, but that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have his righteousness. We can have peace with God. We can be reconciled to God. And then we can now live as his sons and daughters. He's laid that all out. And in chapter 12, just like we talked about in Ephesians 4, he has that little word, un, therefore. Therefore, this is now 
how you should live. If you believe all of this stuff in the first 11 chapters, chapter 12 is telling you, this is what should result. And he says to you, he says here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To the first century Christian, this image was pretty clear to the, whether they were Jewish or not. Sacrifice was part of their society, it's part of their culture. They saw it every day. I'm pretty sure you've probably never seen a sacrifice except maybe in a movie. Um, it doesn't happen, it's not common. I do remember when we were living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that um, there was a news story because this group, I don't know where they were from, they were from um, either Asia or um, Eastern Europe, but they were practicing their religion, which involved uh, sacrificing goats in their yard. And, you know, made the news. People were like, should this be allowed? Should we be having these kind of things? And it was a question of, you know, can you practice your religion? Well, we don't see it. And so for us, it's not necessarily a strong image. In fact, it's so not a strong image that, um, we don't even use the word sacrifice to the level that it should. When we say sacrifice, all we mean is maybe we paid a little price. Like you go, you know, I'm trying to get healthy. I heard what pastor said, I wanna get healthy. So when I went to McDonald's, I sacrificed. Instead of the double quarter pounder, I got the single quarter pounder. So I sacrificed. Instead of the large chocolate shake, I got the smaller chocolate shake, so I sacrificed. And we use the word sacrifice like that. That's not how Paul's using it. Paul's not using little and big things that we give up for something else. No. He's using it in a way that he actually wrote about in Philippians that we read earlier. He's saying all is offered. All is counted as lost. It's all counted as lost to me because it's all been given to God. All of it. It's a sacrifice. If something was sacrificed to God, if it was an animal and you brought a sacrifice, you weren't lending it to the temple. You weren't telling the priest, hey, can you take uh, my lamb and then I'll pick him up at the end of the day. You were not going to be picking up the lamb at the end of the day. Sacrifices meant that you were giving it to God. There was no expectation of return. And there was also this element, especially in the Jewish sacrifices, that you would only offer your very best. It wasn't just everything. It was your best. For me, that's how I de define excellence from God's standard. Excellence from God's standard is not me trying to do somebody else's best. 
somebody who's way better than me and me trying to be like them. That's not, that's not what God is expecting. Nor is God expecting me to do someone's best who's less than me. He wants my best. And this is the idea, the picture that would have been really clear to these first century uh, Christians that this is a sacrifice. It's something that's, that's given to God and it's the very best we have. No expectation of return. But then he has this weird word on there, a word that would have been unusual to them, that would have gotten their attention. He says, present yourselves as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. He's not saying that you are to go kill yourself. He's saying living sacrifice. That wasn't typically what happened to the sacrifice. What typically happened to the sacrifice is the sacrifice would be killed. But this is a living sacrifice. And what we find here is we find that the giver of the sacrifice is also the sacrifice. So Paul's clearly using a metaphor here, clearly using a picture, a word picture, to help people understand what it means to, to really live out the righteousness of Christ, to really live out this faith, to really live out what it means to be, to be justified and to be reconciled to God, that this is what it looks like, a living sacrifice. Everything is God's. And in case you're wondering, it's everything. It's not most things, it's not some things, it's everything our past, our present, our future. We're talking about this um, with some students at, at HBA. I meet with them on, during the week, and we've been talking about these same verses and, and helping them understand that if I'm really a living sacrifice, if I'm really surrendered to God, that it's not just this moment. It's not this time. It's everything. You see, sometimes people, they don't want to surrender the past. And sometimes they don't want to surrender the past because there in the past are some favorite sins and some favorite habits and some favorite attitudes that they know aren't necessarily pleasing to God, but they want to hold on to those. They don't want to give the past up. Others don't want to give up the past because, because they don't want to admit the past. They feel guilty. That past keeps pulling them down. That past keeps telling them, you... You think God wants you? You think God can use you? Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? And the past just keeps pulling them back. They don't want to give up the past. And sometimes they don't want to give up the past because they're really good at the past. The things that they've done their whole lives, they're really good at. And I certainly don't want to take all the things I'm really good at and give them to God. Things that I'm comfortable with, things that I like, things that are meaningful to me. I don't want to offer them. So they don't, they don't let go of the past. 
When I talk to the students, it's more about the future. They don't want to lay their future on that altar. They don't want their future to be part of the sacrifice. And part of it's not their fault. Part of it is, even though they're Christians, they haven't really had anybody help them understand and and think through this idea that if you're a Christian and you're a living sacrifice and you're completely surrendered to God, that, that it's all God's. And that maybe that career that you want to do is not the career that he wants you to do. Maybe that dream school that you're dreaming of is not the school that he wants you to go to. Maybe that major that you think is not the one that he wants. And you assume it is because, you know, you're not, you're like, I'm not going to drug dealer school. I'm not trying to learn how to be, do organized crime. I'm doing good stuff. God doesn't care about that, right? If we're living sacrifices, he does care. But what I like about this is that he says, present. He says, offer. The thing about the living sacrifice that's different is that it's always available to God. It's always available to God. But God doesn't always demand it. How many of you have ever said this and then had the house guest that took you up on it and then you regret saying it? A, my house is your house. Use whatever you want. Eat whatever you want in the refrigerator. It's all yours. Don't worry. Don't have to ask. Just do it. Maybe you've said that. Usually, you have good house guests. And even though you said it, they still ask. Have you ever had that house guest that really took you up on it? You come home from work, they're wearing your clothes, the stuff that you thought you were going to make for dinner, it's gone. They take your car, your bike, whatever. Oh, I said it was all available, but I didn't really mean it. Well, God is the kind of house guest that if you tell him, I surrender, it's all yours, it's all available to yours, you need to be ready that he will ask for it at any moment. He might not. You might live the rest of your life, and he might never ask for it. Because it's not really that important, that thing to God. If you said, God, all my money is available to you. Even if you had millions of dollars. To God, that's like, it's important it's not the dollars. What's important is your heart, your attitude is that it's all available to you, God. It's all yours. We sometimes talk about time and talent and treasure. It's all yours, God. My time is yours. My talent is yours. Your treasure, my treasure is yours. Well, he also says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What 
we need to understand about that is that to be a living sacrifice means that what God finds holy and acceptable is when we hold nothing back. It's not holy and acceptable if we're holding on to it. If you're, if you're giving that sacrifice in the, in the first century to the priests, and as they're taking up to the altar, you can't let go of the leg. That's not holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable is based on that, that, that thing that we are all in, 100% God. It's all yours. Why? Why is that holy and acceptable to God? We just said God doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our talent. If he wants to, he can do anything. Why, why, why? Because when we're a living sacrifice, the attitude of a living sacrifice, whether it's as a church or whether it's as individuals, when we're a living sacrifice, what we're saying is, God, we trust you completely. If you did demanded what you demanded from the rich young ruler to sell all of our goods and to give it to the poor and to follow you we trust you that that is right and we will do it if you're if instead you're telling us that you want us to to work hard and to do well in our career and because when we're in that marketplace we are making a difference for you because we're not going by the world's business ethic codes we're going by yours if that's what it is, I trust you. It's all yours. It's all yours. It's trust. That's why it's holy and acceptable to God. But as long as we do this thing, which is called hedging our bets, as long as we, we say, God, um, I'm, I'm, I'm all yours, but I'm going to you know, kind of stay here just in case I want to go back. That's not holy and acceptable to him. It's a living sacrifice. We're all in. We're all committed. And then he adds that relative clause at the end. If you don't know what a relative clause is, it's that thing on the end. I'm not going to explain it to you. But it means this. It's, I mean, what it says is this. Which is your spiritual worship? You know what drove me nuts and still drives me nuts when people still bring it up? But if you're in the 80s and the 90s and you were part of what was called the worship wars, what drove me nuts about the worship wars is that it wasn't about worship. It was about music. It wasn't about worship. Because if it was really about worship, there never would have been a war. You know what worship is? Living as a living sacrifice. That's worship. You know what we do here on Sunday morning? Or maybe you do it at a group during the week or on the beach with your guitar, ukulele, or in your car, hopefully with the windows up as you're singing at the top of your voice. 
You know what that is? That's an expression. That's an expression. The worship is living. The worship is life. The worship is how we live like Christ in this world. The worship is how we serve. The worship is how we see people in need and help those in need. The worship is how we focus our minds on understanding who God is. And we do that all because we've presented ourselves as a living sacrifice and we understand that means that we need to trust God. And if I'm going to trust God, I really need to know what he's saying. And I really need to know what he wants and what he expects. Music is one aspect of that. You see, I don't care what song we sing. I don't care what style we sing. I don't care if we don't sing at all. We just, we just recite things together. It's not worship if it's not coming from living sacrifices. You get that? You understand? We think the worship so much times is the expression, the externality. But that's only true if it comes from who we are, if it comes from people who are living sacrifices. And I guarantee this is how you know you're there. This is how you know you're there. You know you're there because you don't care what song is sung. You don't care what style. You don't care who's listening. You don't care what other people might think. If in your expression of that living sacrifice, that expression of worship, if it leads you to sing with your whole heart, if it leads you to fall on your knees and pray before God, you don't care. I sometimes think it's like that annoying friend who, you know, maybe after church, everybody's like, hey, you guys all want to go out and grab some lunch? And there's always somebody that says, well, where are you going? And they're not asking where you're going out of curiosity. They're asking where you're going because they don't want to go with you if you're not going to a place they want to go to. In other words, the after church lunch wasn't about fellowship. It wasn't about building relationships. It was about food. And I think sometimes that's what happens in the church. When we get together, whether it's Sunday morning or any time during the week, when we get together as gathered believers, we are more concerned about the food, the style, then we are the fact that we are the church gathered. We are living sacrifices who are all here together with an opportunity to pour our hearts out to God, with an opportunity to receive from him, to celebrate what God did, to encourage those who kind of fell down, those who had a hard time. 
that this morning is much less about everybody sitting there looking this way, but us looking at each other. I think we miss that. God says, let's be a surrendered church. You see, we read this in the wrong way so many times. As soon as we see the word you, we think he's talking to each of us individually. He is in a way. But he's also talking about us collectively as a church. That as a church, we need to be characterized, typified by being living sacrifices people that are, that are seeking after God's will, that are committed to following it no matter what. It might lead to the same old, same old, all the time, keep doing it, keep, keep, keep on keeping on, as they used to say in the 70s. Just keep doing it. You got it right. Just keep doing it. And it's faithfulness there. Or it could mean taking us to new places and unfamiliar places and places that maybe scare us and places that we don't understand. It could mean going back. It could mean going forward. It could be, mean going in a completely different direction. But what we care about is, God, where would you lead us? Who would you have us be? What would you have us do? Are we a surrendered church? I really can't answer that question. I can't answer that question, partly because I don't think we've talked about it enough. I don't think we've, we've really searched our own lives and really thought about our church that way. But I want to encourage you, every time we talk about one of these things, to really think about us as a church and ask that question, are we a surrendered church? Are we a church that is a living sacrifice. And just bear in mind what I said at the beginning. Not everybody's in the same place. My job is not to hold everybody back because some people aren't ready to go or let's all run forward because all these people want to go. No, that's not my job. My job as pastor is to, is to equip you, help you get ready, and understand that everybody's going to be at different places. And so the question, the question that I think we need, to, we need to ponder, that we need to ask, is that question of are we living sacrifices? Or are we holding back some, if not more than some, from God.